Hold on to me. That's the song that we sang, and it's a worship prayer. It's a song of worship, but it's also a prayer. And I ask you as we say those words out loud together today, does it matter, the words that come out of our mouth? Do words matter? Do you think we will be held responsible and accountable for the words that we speak from our mouth? Does it matter that which comes out of here? Does it matter? If we make a pledge, if we make a promise, if we make a vow, does it matter if you keep it? To keep our word? Does it matter? Do words matter? Last week, I spent a lot of time trying to communicate a, a profound spiritual truth that, that the Word of God says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's the core principle of salvation, salvation by faith. Then, then how does my heart get convinced that in such a way that I would confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? If I believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead. What is it that brings me to that point of faith? So last week, I talked about the idea that the Bible, the Word of God, is supernatural. And when it enters inside the human body through the portals, the eyes, the ears, it touches the human heart and does a supernatural, unexplainable work. It transforms the human heart, brings us to faith that God raised Jesus from the dead. He is who He says He is. And then something happens. Something happens that really brings up today. The mouth speaks. The mouth speaks what the heart has concluded. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You won't be able to hold it in. Something's going to come out. The mouth... The words of the mouth represent the content of the heart. Now, that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. But the mouth is representative of the content of your heart. As your heart has experienced, your mouth will speak. God judges the heart of man. But the mouth reveals the content of a man's heart. He judges the heart. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, verse 18, but the words you speak come from where? From your heart. That's what defiles you. If you are defiled, it's not because you have a problem with your lips. It is the problem of your heart that manifests itself in your mouth. The book of James has much to say about the power of the tongue, which represents the words of a person's mouth. And understand that the words of any person's mouth find their origin in the heart. So let me read James 1.26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion, your spirituality is useless. Why? It's worthless because 
the fruit of your heart is coming out, manifesting itself in your mouth, and it doesn't look like the fruit of God at all. Doesn't sound like the fruit of God. James 3, 6. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes this mouth of ours, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes the same mouth, it curses those who have been made in the image of God. It's the same mouth praising God. We did that a moment ago in worship. And then you could leave here and go curse someone created in the image of God with the same mouth. So blessing, verse 10, and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water from the same spring? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Now, all of that context to get to the main point today. Do you think, church, do you think it's important for you and I to keep our word? Do words matter? Does it matter to God what comes out of here? What comes out of your lips, out of your mouth? Let me put it another way. Do you know what your word is? Your word is you. Your word is you. Now, you might not like that idea, but it's still true. You might not like the idea that your word, that which has come out of your mouth this past week, is actually you. You might like the idea that it was actually an alien being that entered inside of you over Thanksgiving, and that's why you said that. But it wasn't an alien being, it was you. Your word is you. Your word is not a thing. Your word is you. So who are you? You are your word. Do you doubt that? Let me prove it to you today. We know, if you're in Christ, you, you know that, that we know something. We are all created in the image and the likeness of God. Is the word of God God? Now, I've just told you that whether you want to admit it or not, your word is you. And you are your word. And we're created in the image and likeness of God. And I ask you a question. Is the word of God God? <laughs> Excuse me. Or is the word of God a thing? This is a, a foundational truth that there was a time that the church didn't struggle with this question. But the church is now struggling with this foundational issue. Is the word of God God? 
Is God the Word of God? Is the Word of God God? Are they the same? Are you your Word? Is your Word you? Or are they different? Does the Word of God describe God, which a lot of people think this is a, what man's opinion is of God. Does the Word of God describe God, or is the Word of God God? It's a foundational truth. Now, I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. So what I, to answer that question, I don't go ask uh, people. I go and seek the answer in the Word of God. And here's what the Word of God says. And we're, what are we seeking? We're seeking the answer to the question, is the Word of God God? Is God the Word? Is the Word God? Am I my Word? Is my Word me? Or, or are they separate? In John 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And here it comes. And the Word was God. He, now the Word is a person. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This Word is absolute truth. And based upon this truth, can you separate the Word from God? Reading John chapter 1, which I believe is absolute truth, the question is, can you separate the Word from God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can you go in there and say, okay, over here is the Word, and over here is God? Or are they the same? Can you have the Word without God, and can you have God without the Word? The Word is God, and God is the Word, not a thing or a description of a thing. If we are created in the image and likeness of God, does the same truth apply to humans? That's my question. Do you know that your word is you? You, you got to get this today, okay? Your word, that which proceeds from your mouth, is you. It's not somebody else. It's not something. It's you. It's me. Your word is not a thing. Your word is you. So, who are you? You are your word. Well, I don't like that preacher. I don't really like that at all, because I know some of the things I said this past week, and I'm really not pleased with that definition of myself. Well, you need to know the truth about who you are. You are your word, and your word is you. What comes out of your mouth is you. It's not a thing or an ed, it is you. What comes out of your mouth is a revelation of your real person. You just might not like it, you might like to think you're somebody that you're not, but what comes out of your mouth is a revelation of your real person. What comes out of your mouth reveals the true content of your heart, reveals who you really are. Still not convinced? Or maybe you're convinced, but you're not happy with it? Let me read this Word of God. From the heart and person of God, speaking to Moses, 
and the people of Israel about every word and about every purpose of every word. Do words matter? Yeah, they do. So here's what we're going to do today. God communicates a word to Moses. And he tells Moses to communicate that word to the people of Israel. What word? Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Be careful to obey all of my commands. What would those commands be? His word? Be careful to obey me. Is me and the commands the same? Is me and the commands different? Can you obey God and not the commands? Can you obey the commands and not God? Or are the commands and God the same? Be careful to obey all my commands I am giving you today. And I'm going to put in there because words matter. And then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and find out whether or not you would obey his commands. And I need to pause for a moment. What's the context of this? I'm going to test you in the wilderness. And in the 40 years of wilderness testing, you're going to find out. I'm going to find out whether or not you will obey my word. Whether or not in the wilderness time of testing, you will acknowledge that I am the word and the word is me. And that if you reject the word, you reject me. And if you reject me, you reject the word. Because they are the same. And this happens in the wilderness in the time of testing. Look at what he says. I'm going to go back to verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you, testing you to prove, humbling, testing, prove what? To find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. He let, he let them go hungry. You know, they got hungry on purpose so that they would learn to depend upon the word which was manna from heaven, the bread of life. And then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He, God, did this to teach you that people, people in, in the wilderness, in the time of testing, when you get hungry, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He did this to teach you this. When did he teach you this? What was the application while you were in the wilderness? A physical and a spiritual reality. You will not be able to survive the wilderness time of testing only by your physical means, bread alone. You will need to survive by the every word that comes from the mouth of God. Bread and the word. The truth is this. Today, each of us live and breathe by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Whether you acknowledge it or not is not the issue. You and I today live not by bread alone. We eat bread, we eat food, but we, we live and exist by the every word that comes from the mouth of God. His word, and I'm going to hold it up, is the breath of life. It is not a thing. It is not a description of a thing. His word is in itself life because his word is him. He is life. Bread alone can't keep you alive. 
We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was a time that the church did not struggle with it. And now the church is struggling with it. What's interesting about this Old Testament Moses story is this. What's the context? They're in the wilderness in the time of testing. And in the wilderness time of testing, God says, I let you get hungry so that in that hunger, I would be able to say a word to you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's where that shows up first in the Bible. Jesus quotes that scripture. Guess when? He's in the wilderness and he's hungry and he's in his time of testing. You see the word? Satan has come. And he's testing in Matthew 4, verse 1. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. What's the context in Moses? They're wanting, they're hungry and they're being tested. Jesus is hungry and he's in temptation. During that time, verse 3, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, don't, don't miss this. And then what's Jesus do? He holds this up. No. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In this scene, Jesus is confronted by the liar. The truth is confronted by the lie. Each has a word. Notice each one has a word. Satan has a word. God has a word. Each one has a word coming from their mouth that finds its origin in their heart. Satan's word comes from his mouth. What? If you are the son of God, use your supernatural power and make this stones become bread. Jesus has a word as well. And to Jesus, the word is God and God is the word and you can't separate them. And he already knows what the word is. And by the way, he knows who Satan is. And what does he say? Man cannot live by bread alone. Yeah, he's hungry. Yes, he's in the time of testing. Yes, it has an application similar to the time of Moses. Whose word will he listen to? People cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not from the mouth of you, Satan, but from the mouth of God. The scriptures are the word of God. Jesus says, no, the scriptures say. What does Jesus draw upon in the moment of his time of testing, in his hunger? The scriptures say. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures are the word of God, and the scriptures are God. It's not a thing. It's not an it. It's God. God is the word, and the word is God. The word of God drives the heart of Jesus. It's called truth. Satan's heart is absent of the word of God. Satan has obviously rejected the word of God. And thus he is God's adversary, and his mouth speaks lies instead of truth. Jesus, yes, he was very hungry, and his physical body desired and needed to eat physical food. 
Satan seized that moment of physical weakness and tried to get Jesus to do what? Abandon this. Abandon the word. Can Jesus still obey God and abandon the word of God? Or are they the same? Can you abandon God and keep his word? Can you keep his word and abandon God? Or are they the same? In that moment, Jesus knew that he could not serve two masters. Jesus had received a word from both God and Satan, and Jesus chose to place the word of God in his heart. And out of his mouth came what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, back to my original question. Do you think it's important for you and me to keep our word? Do you think it matters that which comes out of your mouth? <clears throat> Do you realize that that which comes out of your mouth in especially the time of testing reveals the true content of your heart, which is your real person. It reveals you. Let me be more specific. What do you call someone who doesn't keep their word? You can say it out loud. Go ahead. A liar. Where do you think a lying heart comes from? God or Satan? Does anybody think a lying heart comes from God? No, it comes from Satan. And a lying heart produces a lying mouth, which produces lies, because why? Because you don't keep your word. You don't tell, speak the truth. I hope you figured out by now where I'm going today. It does matter what comes out of your mouth. We all have sin in our hearts. So let's begin there. We all, every one of us, we all have a sin nature. We have sin in our heart. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to bring that sin nature under the authority of Christ so that it not escape our mouth. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. All of us have the sin nature, which means there are thoughts that present themselves to our human heart. Whether or not those thoughts travel from the heart out of the mouth depends upon whether or not the Holy Spirit has dominion in your heart. Now, there are always things that you might think about saying or think about doing, but it is brought under the authority of Christ and you don't say it and you don't do it. You think about it, and for a moment you think that was a good idea to say that, and then something inside of you checks you and says, no, that's a bad idea. That's not coming out of the mouth. No, the Spirit suppresses it. If you had Thanksgiving with family, you understand those moments. <laughs> There's that time when something inside of you says, speak, and the Holy Spirit says, don't. Don't. So we've got the Spirit and we've got the sin nature both inside of us. Listen, it's, it's, I'm going to show it to you. What comes out of your mouth will be dependent upon who's in charge, who has dominion, who has authority in your heart. Here we go. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature 
think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You see the spirit war that's inside? And by the way, this is all of us. This is all of us. The question is, what power, what authority has dominion over your heart? Verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile toward God. There's the spirit war. The sinful nature, which we all have, is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. God's laws, those commands. Is that the word? The word is, where did the law and the command come from? It's the word of God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will obey God's laws. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But, now, now he's talking to the legitimate true church. But you are not, not, not controlled by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit if. What's the criteria? How do I know if I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit or if I'm controlled by the sin nature? How, how do I know? You are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God is living in you. And this is either or, okay? Do you understand something? This is either or. Either he is in you or he is not in you. And if he is in you, he, is, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. He is greater than my sin nature. He is able to take captive every thought, every motive of my sinful nature heart and bring it under the submission of his great power. He is able if he's in here. You are not able if he is not. You are controlled by the, simple, by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have, do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, do not belong to Him at all. You know what that means? You're lost. Why are you lost? Because the only thing that makes you saved is Him, Christ in me. He is salvation. It was an Old Testament story that prompted today's message. The story of Israel and the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Joshua and the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land. They had captured Jericho. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. They went over to the city of Ai and they captured Ai. It had fallen. And when, when all the pagan kings in Canaan realized that they were in trouble, the fortified city of Jericho has been destroyed. I has been destroyed, another town. All of the kings of the Canaan promised land people, all of them joined together as one army to fight against Joshua after they saw the fall of Jericho. Everyone except the Gibeonites. And they were a sneaky bunch. They were connivers, buddy. They were sneaky. Joshua 9, verse 3. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they resorted to deception 
to save themselves. So what's the deception? They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags. You see what they're doing? They're a sneaky bunch. Weathered saddlebags, old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. Well, they're trying to communicate. We're not from around here. We've been traveling for weeks. We're from way out there. You don't have to worry about us Gabionites. We live way out there. We're so far out there, you can't even get there from here. And when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land. Liars. Liars. Listen, this is important. We have come from a distant land, and we ask you to make a peace treaty with us. Now, understand the context. Joshua has just destroyed Jericho and the city of Ai, and we're coming for you guys. And we want a peace treaty. Joshua was under the instruction of God to destroy all the nations that possessed the promised land. But these Gibeonites make Joshua believe that they are from way far away from here. Joshua makes a terrible mistake. He did not ask God to reveal the truth. He did not seek the word from God about the Gibeonites. And it's interesting to me that the Gibeonites used bread in the deception. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Had he sought the word from God instead of the bread of the Gibeonites, he would have known the truth. But he didn't. So Joshua does something. He enters into a peace agreement with the Gibeonites, and this is big. This is big. Joshua, even though he was being deceived, allowed a promise of peace to come out of his mouth to the Gibeonites. Now, here's, where, here's why this is big. This is big. Does it matter if the people you enter into an agreement with, you let a, a peace agreement come out of you? What if they're liars? Does that devoid your need to keep your word? If they're a liar? If they're a deceiver, a conniving bunch? Does it matter what you speak with your mouth? Let's go to verse 14. So the Israelites examined their moldy food, but they did not consult the Lord. Man shall live by bread, not shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding, binding oath. Does it matter what comes out of your mouth, even when the circumstances are questionable? Because a whole lot of people will use their rational mind right now and say, well, that contract is null and void because they're liars. That contract doesn't have any validity because the Gibeonites are deceivers. They're a sneaky bunch. Is that your opinion or God's opinion? Verse 16, three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. Whoa. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their towns 
in three days. Three days is all it took to get there. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and kiriath Jerem. But the Israelites did not, did not attack the towns. For the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of this treaty. But the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live for divine anger. Listen, church, we must leave them alone. We must let them live for divine anger would come upon us if we break our oath. If we don't keep our word, God's anger will come on us, not them, us. Church, words matter. Joshua and the people of Israel had made a terrible mistake by entering into a peace agreement with the Gibeonites, but their oath must stand. It matters what comes out of your mouth. Keeping your word matters. Keeping your word matters to God. Now, I told you that this Gibeonite story is what prompted me to write this sermon today, but it wasn't that story, that part that got me. What got me is the next part. We're going to move 400 years, 400 years into the future, past the time of Joshua. And now we're going to find ourselves under the time of King David. And something happens. And when I was in a Bible study and I saw this, that's why I wrote this message today. This next story revealed to me how important it is in the eyes of God for you and I to keep our word. It doesn't just affect you. Listen, church. It doesn't just affect you to keep your word. It affects your children's children's children. It affects future generations of your family, those you don't even know yet. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. 400 years after the time of Joshua entering into this agreement with the Gibeonites. There was a famine during the time of King David's reign that lasted three years. Now, now get the scene. They're in a famine brought on by God for three years. David is the king. So David asked the Lord about this three-year famine. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul, King Saul, David's predecessor, and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. Whoa. Some 400 years after Joshua allowed a covenant of peace with the Gibeonites, King Saul executed some of them, those who remained in the land, he had them killed. National guilt has come upon the land. King Saul had broken the word, the pledge of peace given by Joshua 400 years earlier. God, let there be no mistake, is the God of justice. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And God was there. Listen, God was there when Joshua entered into that agreement with those Gibeonites. God was there. He heard it. They swore an oath in the name of God. Now, 400 years later, God's justice has brought a famine to the land of Israel, and God reveals the source of God's judgment, this famine, to King David. King Saul has broken the word of Joshua and has brought national guilt and punishment upon the land. And how many people would die in a three-year-long famine in an agricultural world? A bunch of people are dying. Why? Because 400 years ago, some guy made a promise in God's name. And now 400 years later, you've broken the promise and God's judgment has come upon the land. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to take all that story that we've covered so far and compartmentalize that and put it on hold for a moment. And let's come back here today to 2021. And let's come to us. Is this just an Old Testament stuff without any application to the church? Does anybody think that this story from way back when, 400 years, Joshua and David, has any influence on you and I today? So I'm going to ask you some questions. Does it matter what comes out of your mouth? To God, does it matter? Does it matter if you keep your word, if you keep your vows? So let's take a test. I can, I can assure you after doing one service already this morning, the test is not pleasant. Let's apply it to marriage. Did you vow before God that you would remain faithful to your spouse until you die? Do the words of your mouth matter? Let that sink in for a moment. When I do a, a, a wedding, I haven't done a lot of weddings in the last couple of years, but when I do a wedding, I require pre-marriage counseling. I won't do a wedding unless I do. And I have intentionally a, a, a set of vows that we do in the marriage ceremony. And before, in the, in the pre-marriage counseling, here's what I will tell the couple, and there's, there's some in this room that can testify to this. I tell these Google-eyed, that's what I call them, Google-eyed. They can't see anything. But they think they see everything, but they don't see anything. It's like, oh. <laughs> So I, I try to bring them into reality. And I say, here's what's going to happen on your wedding day. The two of you, I'm going to escort the two of you into the presence of God. And with your mouth, you are going to enter into a covenant relationship and you're going to ask God to witness and seal it. So you need to understand what's about to happen here. It's not a casual thing. We're going to walk into the presence of God and he's going to hear the words of your mouth make a covenant to that woman and to that man. Do you understand that? So then I tell them, here's what you're going to say that day. I, husband, take you, bride, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, here comes the stopper, until we are parted by death. 
as God as my witness, I give you my promise. Does it matter? When, when you stand in front of God that day and say that out of your mouth, does it matter? Do you know the divorce rate for Christians is just about the same as it is for non-Christians? Does anybody see a problem here? And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, just in case I haven't offended everybody in the room today, I've got more. <laughs> Do you think it matters what the circumstances are that come after the wedding? Because I know a lot of people have this rationalization. You know, in the story of the Gibbonites, you know, I don't think my oath to be in a peace treaty with them is relevant because they're a sneaky bunch. And I know I got people come to me later, about a year later, and this guy says, you have no idea. That woman I married, she's a Gibeonite. She's a sneaky one. She lied to me about the whole thing, about who she was. I thought she was this, and I got over here and figured out she's not that at all. Does her lie discount your words that came out of your mouth? No. Who told you it did? Does it matter? Preacher, she deceived me. It doesn't matter whether she deceived you or not. You said, as God is my witness, I give you my promise. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I always bring the couple in and I say um, something like this. I said, I know right now you're not going to get this because you got that, that look in your eye. I, I, I get it. But I'm going to tell you, here's the deal. There is going to be a time. It may be really soon, a few months, maybe a couple years. There's going to be a time in your very near future when all you will have with that woman is that promise. Because you won't like her. She'll do something. She'll do something to you. And if it's just based on feelings, you won't like her. And she won't like you. But in that moment, you know what you've got? You promised. You promised in front of God. Do words matter? Now, I get it, folks, that the world, it doesn't. I, of course I get it. Why in the world would an unbelieving world that doesn't accept the fact that God's going to hold us accountable on the last day, that anybody's going to stand in front of God on the last day, why would they keep their word? But it has to matter to the church. And you know what? And in many cases, it doesn't. You know how easy it would be to just never preach a sermon like this? But I know this truth, and the truth is this. You cannot live by bread alone. You're going to die. But every word that comes from the mouth of God is life. And I have a responsibility to tell you the words that will give you life. So, in case there's still six people here that haven't been offended, what about your business dealings? <laughs> what about your business dealings? When you made an agreement with somebody in a business deal or some guy down the road and you gave him your word and you shook his hand, what about that? 
Are you a man of your word? Are you a woman of your word? When you speak, what comes out of your mouth? It has been tested by the Holy Spirit. It's been approved, brought under the authority of Christ. And when you speak it, now you're bound to it, right? I'm bound to it. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm trying to set you free by this truth of God that what you say out of your mouth matters. So let me take it to a higher level. Is this really where I want to go anyway? When you vowed to give your life to Christ, and I'm assuming that's most everybody in this room, there was a time in your life that you came forward on an altar call one day, and the Word of God had come into your portal. It came into your eyes. It came into your ears. It got out of your heart, and it broke you. It crushed you. And you saw who He is, and you saw who you were without Him. And you on that day said, I will from this day forward deny myself. I will take up a cross and I will follow you the rest of my life. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you said that. Have you kept your word? Doesn't matter. You see, words matter. So let's go back to the King David story. Back to the Gibeonites. Evidently, King Saul hadn't killed all the Gibeonites because David goes to them and asks them how he and the nation of Israel can make things right again so that he can stop this judgment, this famine that's been going on for three years in the land. I'm going to tell you in advance, the payment will be very expensive and it will cost the family of King Saul dearly. Words matter. Verse 3. So David asked the Gibeonites, what can I do for you? How can I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's people again? Well, money can't settle this matter between us and the family of Saul, the Gibeonites replied. Neither can we demand the life of anyone in Israel. What can I do then? King David asked. Just tell me and I will do it for you. What's going on? There's a famine. People are dying. It's three years. No food. What can I do for you? Verse 5. Then they, the Gibeonites, replied, It was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in the territory of Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons be handed over to us, and we will execute them before the Lord at Gibeon. On the mountain of the Lord. All right, King David said, I will do it. Three years of famine, many have died. 400 years after Joshua makes a promise to the Gibeonites, and God hasn't forgotten the words that came out of Joshua's mouth. Words matter. Now, 400 years later, seven children of deceased King Saul are going to be executed to make amends for King Saul not keeping the words of Joshua 400 years before. That's why I wrote this sermon. Because when I concluded that's how God thinks, I was moved. Does it matter if you keep your word? Your word, listen church, your word is you. And you are your word. It's not a it, it's not a thing, it's you. 
I remember my daddy telling me, my granddaddy telling me my entire childhood, they used to say the same thing over and over, your word is your bond. That was their way of saying your word is you. If you, people don't trust your word, then you're not trustworthy as an individual. You can't separate your word from you. Your word is you. And when you make a vow, a promise, keep it. It matters to God. It matters to you. It matters to your family. It matters to your children's 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 children. When I do pre-marriage counseling, and I go through all this detail about making this covenant and making these vows. And as God is my witness, I give you this promise. I say, if you're not up to that vow, that promise, don't get married. Don't get married. You don't have to get married. But if you do get married and if you do say those words and they do come out of your mouth, you are now accountable. You're accountable. Someone asked me, in fact, somebody asked me this a lot. I hear this question a lot. Do you still believe in generational curses? Preacher, do you still believe in generational curses? And if you don't know what that means, it comes from uh, the Ten Commandments when God talks about idolatry, that, that curses can be generational in nature, affect your children, your grandchildren. Let me read it to you, Exodus 20, verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And here it comes. I, God, lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations for those who love me and obey my commands. Yes, here's the answer. Yes, I believe there are generational curses still today. But I also believe this. Listen, church, I believe one godly man who gives himself fully to the Lord can break any generational curse God has placed upon your family. One man. What comes out of your mouth matters. What comes out of your mouth is you, and you are what comes out of your mouth. Whether you want to admit it today or not, it's you. It's not somebody else. You haven't been invaded by aliens. It's you. Coming out of your mouth is you. So how did God respond to David allowing the Gibeonites to execute seven of Saul's sons? Verse 14. And then the king ordered that they bury the bones of King Saul's seven sons in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, at the town of Zelah in the land of Benjamin. And after that, after that, God ended the famine in the land. So here's my closing. I got a question. Moses is a historical figure. I mean, even unbelievers know who Moses is. You can go to the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. There's a big Moses on the wall in the Capitol building, right? I'm going to ask you a question. What made Moses Moses? 
This is important. What is it that made Moses such a figure? What, what made Moses Moses? God gave Moses his word. God gave Moses himself. He, he didn't give him papers, a, a, a stone tablet apart from himself. He gave Moses himself. What made Moses Moses was that Moses was the recipient of the word. And I'm telling you today, the word is God. And when God gave Moses the word, God gave Moses himself. And what made Moses Moses is God gave himself to Moses. And until you get that, you're going to miss much of this. What made Moses Moses is God gave Moses the word. Deuteronomy 32, 45. When Moses had finished reciting all these words that he got from God to the people of Israel, he added, take to heart all the words of warning I have given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children so that they will obey every word of these instructions. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. Do you understand? They are your life. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in the land you will occupy when you cross the Jordan River. Words matter. They represent the person who speaks them. And I said a moment ago, what made Moses Moses? Is God gave the word to Moses. And I testify today, what makes me me? is God gave the word to me and the word became flesh and has dwelt among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth what makes me me is Christ in me the word in me and they are not two they are one and the only way I can ever control what comes out of this mouth is I have brought them under the authority of the Spirit of Christ who lives in me. You see, God's Word matters. They represent, these words represent Him because they are Him. But what about us? We who are created in the image and likeness of God. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. Listen, church. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry. And he might wipe out everything you have achieved. It's better to say nothing than to make a vow and not keep it. Somebody gave me good advice years ago and said, Terry, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. <laughs> and sometimes that's good counsel. 
if you're not willing to back up what you're about to speak of, you ought to shut up. You ought not speak it. Because words matter. They matter to God. They matter to me. They matter to my family. The mouth of man, James 3 verse 9. The mouth, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So blessings and curses come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Today, I tell you, church, words matter. They matter to God. They matter to your family. Keep your word. It all comes down to this. Keep your word. And may fresh water, living water, flow from your heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in just a moment, Chad's going to come out here. We're going to sing a song. And I have a feeling that there are people, maybe several people here today, that need to make some things right with God. And here's why I say that. Some of you, at some point in your life, you came to an altar. Maybe it was a long time ago. And you told him, you told God that day with your mouth that you were going to deny yourself, take up a cross, and you were going to follow him the rest of your life. And you have not kept your word. You have followed everything and everyone except him. And today, you have a chance to make that right. Because here's the most wonderful thing about this word of God. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. All you got to do is come in repentance and say, Lord, I know I promised you this and I did this instead. And in that moment, his mercy, he covers us. He forgives us. He makes things right. But it is with your mouth. So today I challenge you, stand on his word. Man cannot live by bread alone. You're going to die without his word. And stand on your word. What you have pledged, keep your word. Keep your promises. Because words matter. I'm going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your Holy Spirit to have dominion and authority in this body. And that, Lord, you would bring truth to each person's heart today. And we would stand on your word. For man cannot live by this physical life bread alone. Only your word gives life. And Lord, may we stand on our word, our promises, our vows, our covenants to you. May they be enabled by the power of Christ in us. May we live with everything under your spirit's power. Now, Lord, do your work among us in Jesus' name. And amen. Let's stand. The invitation is open.